Everyone, welcome to the Tuesday, May 10th, 2022 City Commission meeting. Uh, first, uh, because one of our commissioners is online, we're going to do roll um, as we used to when we were on Zoom. So um, first, I would like to see if Vice Mayor Larson is here. Here. Uh, Commissioner Littlejohn. Here. Commissioner Finkeldye. Here. Commissioner Sellers. Present. Uh, Mayor Shipley, I'm also here, uh, so hopefully that satisfies all of our, our requirements. Um, we usually have some uh, introduction about how the meetings work. Uh, we'll start with Porter. Uh, thank you, Mayor. Good evening, everybody. I just have a few housekeeping items for the Zoom meeting tonight. This meeting is being recorded and broadcast on the city's YouTube channel and cable channel 25. Please remember to mute yourself during the meeting unless you are speaking. The chat function for the meeting is disabled. All chats will go directly to me. Unless you are participating during the meeting, please turn your video off. This allows the active meeting participants to be seen on screen. You will still be able to hear the meeting. When you are participating in the meeting, please turn your video on. If you have any trouble, you can send me a chat. The city reserves the right to mute people or turn individual videos off to minimize distractions during the meeting. Now I'll turn the meeting back over to Mayor Shipley. Thank you, Porter. Um, next, we'll have some other comments about uh, public comment. When the mayor calls for in-person public comment, individuals attending in, per in person should approach the podium to indicate they wish to speak. The podium can be raised and lowered, and we encourage you to use this feature to ensure your comments are heard. Please remember to state your name before speaking. Individuals participating via Zoom should use the raise hand function to indicate they wish to speak. When you are called on, please unmute and state your name before speaking. All comments will be limited to three minutes. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, let's move on then to approving the agenda. The City Commission reserves the right to amend, supplement, or reorder the agenda during the meeting. Are there any uh, requests to reorder or um, motions to approve? Move to approve. Second. I have a first and a second. Vice Mayor Larson? Aye. Commissioner Littlejohn? Aye. Commissioner Finkeldye? Aye. Commissioner Sellers? Aye. Mayor Shipley, aye. That passes five to zero. Uh, next, we have recognitions and proclamations. The first one will be for the Caw Valley Kickball League. <laughs> Um, if there's someone here to speak on behalf of the league, is Ethan or somebody here? There he is. <laughs> Just make a few comments and then I'll read your proclamation. Thank you. Hi, my name is Ethan Fincham. I'm this year's Caw Valley Kickball League Commissioner. KBKL started as a small group of service industry employees blowing off steam after long weekends of playing by playing a nostalgic kids game. KVKL has evolved into a social group, a charity, and evening entertainment at Game of the Week. Every year, we choose a summer charity to raise money for. This year, we chose House of McCoy, which is a community hub for queer and trans youth of Lawrence, Kansas. Their director has asked me to share the following. I ask that this community reflect on the ways they've shown up for black trans lives and living. What have you done for black trans lives in the past year, past six months, past month? Now is the time to be honest with yourselves and your community. What are you willing to do to help black trans youth fully in this community, a community that continues to fail them? 
This is something that is important to our league. KBKL shows up for the community. KBKL is very unique in the community it creates and the way it integrates into the Lawrence community at large. If you go to our website, cawvalleykickball.com, you'll find many familiar businesses sponsoring our teams. One league, our league has about 600 active players and countless former members that often support these sponsors. Our league holds a huge debt of gratitude to the Parks and Recreation Department of Lawrence. Without them, our league wouldn't, would cease to exist. We are especially thankful to, for the use of Hobbs Park, which hosts our game of the week each Sunday. There is no better feeling than playing kickball under the lights in a stadium with such a rich history. Thank you to the players, captains, and board members that have made these 20 years possible with their hard work and limitless contributions. And thank you to the people of Lawrence who have created a space for our league to thrive. On behalf of the league, I would like to extend my heartfelt thanks to Mayor Shipley for this recognition and humbly invite you to roll out the first pitch in our opening day game of the week this upcoming Woo! Sunday. MPA Hobbs. <laughs> Wow. It's also a terrible idea, but, <laughs> but thank you. Thank you so much, Ethan. Um, now I will read your recognition. Whereas the Call Valley Kickball League is a not-for-profit that was started in 20, 2002 by local business owners and employees, which has grown to 36 teams over the last 18 seasons, promoting lifelong physical activity and inclusivity. And whereas the ho they host an array of charity events to raise money to give back to the community by providing funds to local and regional organizations, at least 27 organizations have received donations from the Call Valley Kickball League, totaling over $95,000. And whereas... When they did not play kickball in 2020 due to COVID, the Caw Valley Kickball League shifted their approach to paying it backward to help support their sponsors by raising money through raffles, t-shirt sales, and socially distanced events, supporting a struggling venue that typically donates space for KBKL functions. And whereas the Caw Valley Kickball League chose to support Burt Nash Community Mental Health Center in 2021, raising $13,000. And whereas the Caw Valley Kickball League continues to work with numerous local organizations to host charity events, raising money for organizations that work to help our whole community. Now, therefore, I, Courtney Shipley, Mayor of the City of Lawrence, Kansas, along with my fellow city commissioners, do hereby recognize the fundraising efforts of Caw Valley Kickball League and extend our deepest gratitude for their ongoing support for local organizations and for raising over $95,000 for our community. And congratulations on 20 years of community-centered recreation. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all. Thank you all for being here. Go get them. Uh, we have a lot of proclamations tonight. So next we have to, uh, we would like to proclaim um, May 2022 as Community Action Month. Um, and I don't believe we have anyone here for that. No, we don't. Um, so uh, carry on. Whereas community action agencies were created when the Economic Opportunity Act of 1964 was signed into law, and whereas the East Central Kansas Economic Opportunity Corporation, ECAN, was established in 1966, and whereas ECAN has a 54-plus year history of promoting self-sufficiency for the limited-income individuals and families who live in Douglas County, and whereas ECAN has made essential contributions to individuals and families in Douglas County by providing them with innovative and cost-effective programs such as Early Head Start, Back to School Supplies, and the Christmas Bureau, and the Food Pantry, 
And whereas community action builds and promotes economic stability as an essential aspect of enabling and enhancing stronger communities and stable homes. And whereas community action agencies are needed as major participants in the reform of the welfare system as we know it. And whereas individuals and families on limited income continue to need opportunities to improve their lives and their living conditions, thus ensuring that all citizens are able to live in dignity. And whereas the poverty rate in Douglas County is 18% and there are 20,840 individuals that meet the federal poverty guidelines. Now, therefore, I, Courtney Shipley, Mayor of the City of Lawrence, Kansas, do hereby proclaim May 2022 as Community Action Month in Lawrence and Douglas County. Uh, sorry, here, I gotta get back. Uh, next is the recognition of the Lawrence Free State High School debate team seniors, Serena Rupp and John Marshall. <laughs> Yay! Yay, come on. Okay, so each day since we won the national championship the outreach has continued to really surprise me uh every day it seems like someone new uh comes up or reaches out to me on social media and says congratulations uh and you know it's great to be here and have the recognition so thank you to the city council and also to usd 497 because they've been great in supporting us the last four years and giving us the opportunity to go out and do something like that. So it's really been great and uh, really shown how awesome the community is. I don't know if you have anything you want to say. <laughs> great, thank you. And I know your principal's here and, and I presume your parents, so well done you. Um, and before you, before you read it, John, didn't you also just win the state championship in domestic extent and Lincoln Douglas debate? Yes. As well as leading leading the whole free state team to the third straight debate and forensics championship. So congratulations on that too. Thank you so much. You've been busy. <laughs> been busy. All right. Uh, whereas on Monday, April 25th, 2022, the Free State High School debate team of seniors Serena Rupp and John Marshall won the national championship at the Tournament of Champions hosted by the University of Kentucky. And whereas Marshall and Rupp defeated teams from Decatur High School, Georgia, uh, Peninsula High School, California, Little Rock, Central Arkansas, and Mamaroneck, New York, all on unanimous three to zero decisions on their way to the final round. And whereas in the championship debate, they were matched against against a team they had split debates with all season. Berkeley Prep School, Florida, Marshall and Rep emerged victorious on a two to one decision by the judges. And whereas this concludes a record shattering high school policy debate career for Marshall and Rep, they are the first debate team from Free State to earn a tournament of champions bid, win a tournament of champions qualifying tournament debate, uh, debate at tournament of champions break at the tournament of champions, place in the top 30 of the NSDA nationals two times and to win a tournament of champions. And whereas these two students will graduate in May as one of the most successful high school debate teams in Kansas history. Both plan to continue their debate careers, Rupp at Emory University and Marshall at the University of Kansas. Now, therefore, I, Courtney Shipley, Mayor of the City of Lawrence, Kansas, along with my fellow city commissioners, hereby extend our sincerest congratulations to the Free State High School debate team of seniors Serena Rupp and 
and John Marshall for winning the national championship at the Tournament of Champions this year. Back. You have a lot of national champions on your resume as mayor. <laughs> <laughs> uh, championship in one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, our next item is to proclaim May 11th to 15th, 2022 as Police Week and Sunday, May 15th, 2022 as Peace Officers Memorial Day. And hopefully Chief will come and speak. Oh, I'm sorry. I think... Yeah, Chief. Oh, Officer Anthony Mike, who who am I getting? Uh, while I find my proclamation, because it all shut down for a minute. <laughs> oh, good. It's yourself. <laughs> hey, I'm Officer Harvey. I uh, work for Lawrence Police Department. We just want to say thank you guys for having us out. Um, I might be biased because I'm from here, but I think we work in the greatest city. Um, these men and women, my brothers and sisters, they do a great job of protecting and showing love throughout the community. So. We just want to say we appreciate all the love and we're going to give it back. So thank you guys for having us. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. Um, whereas established in 1962 by President John F. Kennedy and a joint resolution in Congress designating May 15th as Peace Officers Memorial Day and the week in which May 15th falls as National Police Week. And whereas the members of law enforcement agencies of the city of Lawrence, Kansas, and Douglas County play an essential role in safeguarding the rights and freedoms of citizens throughout the city and county. And whereas it is important that all citizens know and understand the duties, responsibilities, hazards, and sacrifices of their law enforcement agencies, and that members of our law enforcement agencies recognize their duty to serve the people of safeguarding life and property by protecting them against violence and disorder, and by protecting the innocent against deception and the weak against oppression. And whereas the Lawrence Police Department lost three officers in the line of duty, Officer Alan Moore, uh, EOW 1901, Officer Wilson Pringle, EOW 1909, and Officer Melvin Howe, EOW 1931. And whereas each May during National Police Week, the national the nation pauses to recognize and honor the men and women of our law enforcement agencies who increasingly provide a high level of accountable, essential, and professional public service. Now, therefore, I, Courtney Shipley, Mayor of the City of Lawrence, Kansas, do hereby proclaim May 11th through 15th, 2020 as Police Week, and Sunday, May 15th, 2022, as Peace Officers Memorial Day, and call upon all citizens of the city of Lawrence and Douglas County to join in commemorating law enforcement officers past and present, who by their faithful and loyal devotion to their responsibilities have rendered a, dedication, a dedicated service to their communities, and in so doing have established for themselves an enviable and enduring reputation for preserving the rights and security of all citizens. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you all. Thank you all. <laughs> uh, our last item is a recognition of city staff members and volunteers involved with the emergency winter shelter operation 2021 to 22. And I believe that will fall on our city manager. Thank you. 
Yes, thank you, Mayor. Uh, the city operated a winter emergency shelter this past winter in response to the priorities of the strategic plan. The planning and operation of the shelter required a great deal of work by many city employees. I particularly like to highlight the work of Park District Supervisor Mitch Young, Recreation Center Programmer Stephen Mason, Administrative Technician Hannah Boudreau, and Recreation Programmer Gail Sigurdsson. These individuals were particularly instrumental in, successful sh in a successful shelter that provided a warm place for overnight stay at the community building. On many occasions, these individuals worked their regular day job at the city, then completed evening overnight or early morning shifts during the week or weekends, making sure the shelter was staffed and running smoothly. The shelter could not have operated without the support of numerous volunteers who gave their time and resources to make the shelter successful. In particular, I would like to recognize Tom and Marilyn Dobsky and the McDonald's for numerous donations they made to the shelter over the course of the winter. I wanna offer my sincere appreciation to these city staff members and all of the volunteers for helping deliver these very vital services in our community. Thank you. It's like Mitch is on. Yeah, I was going to say. I, I, He's Gail. He's watching. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mitch, thank you for everything. Do you want to say anything? He doesn't want to say anything. <laughs> hanging out the masters? What is yeah. <laughs> outside the building, maybe. Okay. I don't know if you can hear. I'm not sure if we can hear either, but either way, thank you all very much. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Gail's out there. You want to say anything, Gail? I don't see that. Well, <laughs> oh, oh you're there. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. All right. Uh, let's move on to our consent agenda. All matters listed on the consent agenda are considered under one motion and will be approved by one motion. There will be no separate discussion on those items. If discussion is desired, that item will be removed from the consent agenda and will be considered separately. Members of the public wishing to speak on an item that has been pulled off the consent agenda will be limited to three minutes for comments. Uh, are there any commissioners, commissioners who would like to remove something from the consent agenda? Uh, Commissioner Sellers, are are you satisfied? Yes, Mayor. This is Commissioner Sellers. <laughs> I'm satisfied with the agenda. <laughs> All right. Um, are there any members of the public here in the room who would like to pull something from our consent agenda? Not seeing anyone. Um, is there anyone online who would like to remove something from our consent agenda? Seen anyone? You got all right. Let's just make sure. This is a split second here. I had some communication issues last week. Okay, we're not seeing any. Um, we do also, although we don't need to necessarily pull things from the consent, we can make uh, comments about them. And I have not been leaving room for commissioners to do that. Um, and I should, um, but I did kind of want to make a comment about the bid and purchase item C5B, increasing the safe routes to school project money 
um, I'm not pulling it, but um, what I wanted to point out is it is a sidewalk project and that it will be pulling funding from road projects. So um, that is something that we do. We do it regularly and it is not as unusual as some people might think. Um, and since everyone knows how passionate I am about sidewalks being paid for in a consistent and orderly way, I just wanted to point out that those are priorities we can make and we make them all the time. Um, are there any motions on consent? I move to approve. Commissioner Phil. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> I might second. be on a delay, so Commissioner Finkel, I go right ahead. I'll second. Okay, I would move to approve the consent agenda. I have a first and a second. Commissioner Finkel, aye. Commissioner Sellers, aye. Vice Mayor um, Larson, aye. Commissioner Littlejohn, aye. Mayor Shipley, aye. Uh, that passes five to zero, which brings us to our public comment. The public comment is allowed to speak on items, or sorry, the public is allowed to speak on items or issues that are not uh, scheduled for discussion on the agenda. As a general practice, the commission will not discuss or debate these items, nor will the commission make decisions on items presented during this time. Individuals should address all comments and questions to the commission. Each person will be limited to three minutes. Are there any people here in the room who would like to make public comment? Evening days. I'd like to start off this evening with a quote by Albert Einstein, who once said, the thing about smart motherfuckers is that they look like crazy motherfuckers to stupid motherfuckers. That being said, my name is Dr. Justin Spies. I have a doctorate in lifespan human development from K-State. I'm running for Douglas County District 1 uh, Commissioner. And do I look like a crazy motherfucker? Yes, I do. But I think that says something more about you than it does about me. I have emails from August 2020 with the school board asking them what evidence they used to justify keeping schools closed that fall and staying with remote learning. Two of them got back to me and cited no evidence. Hell, one of them, GR Gordon Ross, flat out said, I referenced no evidence to justify his decision to keep schools closed. I have the emails, I'd be happy to show them with, to anyone. And the other one to respond was the school board president at the time who said that what they used to make their decision was a family survey, that, survey they supposedly sent out, which I never got by the way, and I had a daughter in the USD 497 district at the time. Anyway the results showed that something like 63% of families and 70% of teachers were scared of the virus and didn't feel safe to attend in-person school. Even if that was true, it still ain't science. And as they say, facts don't give one fuck about your feelings, bitches. This wasn't j always just about masks for me. That's why it's misleading for the papers to only label me as an anti-mask protester when in fact, I'm actually just a pro-freedom dad, otherwise known as an American, and I have common sense and I question everything. I'm gonna read from a recent article in the New York Times here in a second, but go back and watch the KCTV5 News report on me when I got attacked at Sunset Hill. And in it, I talk about how this, the, the, the uh, zeitgeist is always moving. And that oftentimes in this country, we do things that we look back on and go, what were we thinking? Well, here's the zeitgeist moving in real time. And keep in mind while I read this, that I'm the crazy bastard for saying, hey, pump the brakes. We don't know what your policies are gonna do to the individual, family, schools, community, society at large, because the zeitgeist always moves, morons. It always moves. Hell, Brad Finkeldye here is the attorney for both the school district and the health department. And he was the mayor at the same time here recently. How'd that work? Y'all know that? All right, so here's this New York Times article. Now, 
the New York Times, a liberal, mag or a liberal paper published May 5th, 2020, titled, Not Good for Learning. I'm going to read it till I run out of time. New research is, sh is showing the, the high cost of long-term or of, of long school closures in some communities. When COVID-19 began to sweep across the country in March 2020, schools in every state closed their doors. Remote instruction effectively became a national policy. A few months later, however, school districts began to make different decisions about whether to reopen. Across much of the South and the Great Plains, as well as some pockets of the Northeast, schools resumed in-person classes in the fall of 2020. Across most of the Northeast, Midwest, and West Coast school buildings stayed closed and classes remained online for months. These differences created a huge experiment testing how well remote learning worked during the pandemic. Academic researchers have since been studying the subject and they have come to a consistent conclusion. Remote learning was a failure. <clears throat> Three times a year, millions of K-12 students in the U.S. take a test known as the MAP that measures their skills in math and reading. A team of researchers get Thank online you, and finish reading it. It's right there. It's in your lefty paper, the New York Times, saying how big a fool Thank you, sir. you all are and your, your cowardly fucking bullshit decisions that ruined a fucking generation of kids because you're fucking scared. Is there any other public comment in the room? Yeah. My campaign slogan is fuck these child abusing motherfuckers because that's exactly what the fuck they are. I ain't fucking playing. Fucking child abuse, dumb fucks. I'm the voice of calm in the room. <laughs> <laughs> you can raise that up a little bit if you want. Yeah, I think I will. I had a, a sword. You have to hold it and it'll. Anyway. Oh, the other way. I'm here to talk a little bit about. Go ahead and wait. Go ahead and wait. Don't start his time. Give him 16 seconds while he gets the microphone. I appreciate that. Tonight, I don't want to talk about the cooperation between some departments. I've made a lot of noise about a May 5th arrest downtown. This wasn't me. This was somebody else. I don't know who the person was. I've never met him before. I've still never met him. I just know his name and his date of birth from the arrest record. But what I was witnessed was wrong. The officers assaulted the man. One of the officers, the actual officer that did that was just in here sitting in this last chair over here. <clears throat> I complained about that, was told that the officers acted honorably and they were proud of them. Uh, one of my viewers brought it to my attention that there were problems with the way that man was transported. He was transported face down with his hands cuffed behind his back. I raised these concerns with Douglas County Fire Medical, Chief Joles, who held himself to be the training supervisor or something in charge of training EMTs. I had two different conversations with him. In the first one, he let me believe that he didn't understand what I was talking about. I asked if we had a protocol for transporting patients face down. There had just been March 31st, I believe it was, an update that he would have been in charge of training that said no patient should ever be transported face down in the supine or uh, upright position only and especially restrained. This man was strapped down to the gurney face down against all known best practices. Again, I keep bringing things to you guys that are against all known best practices. So we tried to get the redacted patient care report which according to state EMT guidelines, the Board of EMS says that it is an open record. The QAQI version 
is a quality assurance, quality integrity version that has all the patient data redacted. That was refused. Maria Garcia in the city attorney's office is the one that ultimately directed that refusal. I'm coming for records. I'm just letting y'all know. I'm coming for records. I may not have a case to file to stop all this police abuse that's going on. I'm coming for records and I'm gonna prove some things. Tonight, Ms. Shipley, Mayor Shipley, you said that there were three officer deaths and the last one I believe you said was in 1931, is that correct? So in 91 years, there has not been an officer death. But I can count in the last year, five times I've witnessed an abuse. Have a good night. Thank you. Are there any other public comments in the room? Hi, I'm Chris Flowers. Um, I came here mainly, there's something I was, last week, I guess the city's opened up um, public comment for, or I guess the Lawrence listens about restructuring city government. And I just want to talk about the timing. You open it up when the students are doing their finals. And I mean, that's the week when students are here is finals week. Like that's the last week before they leave town for break. So you're doing the, the community feedback about how to restructure our government. And one of the options is the six districts. And if we do six districts, um, one of those districts is going to be comprised mainly of, of college students. So if we're talking about, hey, should we go to districts? And one of those districts is going to be about co mainly college students. Shouldn't we be doing engagement when the college students are here? And that brings me to something that kind of makes me even a little bit matter about that, about community engagement is is we have this tobacco 21 where we want we want to stop the 18 19 and 20 year olds from smoking for their own good and we we've talked about i mean some of y'all have talked about if if we're going to be doing stuff to help minority groups or you know groups of people we should at least be getting their input on how they feel about it and so far, I, I believe there's been no outreach to the 18, 19, 20 year olds about the, about the coming changes to smoking laws. But not only that, I think it's scheduled that when we try to pass this new laws targeting the 18, 19, 20 year olds, we're going to pass it in June when the 18 and 19 and 20 year olds won't even be here to defend themselves from y'all. Is that is that how our city works? We pass laws that target specific groups of people because that's what it is at Tobacco 21. Gosh darn it. No, a Tobacco 21 law is specifically targeting 18, 19, and 20 year olds. And and as it's scheduled, we're gonna pass this law when they're when they're gone. And I, I think that's kind of crappy. And just I'm gonna finish there, but something else I noticed is that there's a mask saying masks are strongly encouraged, yet how many city employees are actually wearing masks? I mean, why do we have that? If if y'all aren't gonna do it, why ask us to? I mean, I'm willing to do it, but I don't know. It just seems why we could lose that sign if we're not actually gonna be taking it serious. Thank you. 
Thank you. Any other public comments in the room? Uh, are there any public comments online? Let's double check here. Seem all right? No one has indicated. Did you see somebody? No. Nope. Okay, we're good then. All right. That concludes public comment. Let's move on to our regular agenda items. Um, first, we want to receive a presentation from staff and the city attorney's office about municipal court operations. Good evening, Mayor and Commissioners. I'm Tony Wheeler, the city attorney, and I'll be making some brief introductory remarks before I turn this over to Vicki Stanwix and Elizabeth Hafoka to make a presentation. First of all, we're very pleased to have this opportunity to present to the commission about our municipal court and city prosecutor's office operations. As we were preparing this uh, presentation, we reflected and in, in my 22 years of working for the city, I cannot recall a time when we have had an opportunity to present on municipal court operations to the City Commission. So we are um, really looking forward to this evening. We view ourselves as partners in public safety, but we partner not just with law enforcement agencies like KUPD and Lawrence PD. We also partner with um, the Building Codes Division, um, the fire marshal and alcohol beverage control. And we're committed to helping the city commission create a community where all people feel safe and secure and have access to trusted public and community-based resources. We also believe we have a role in ensuring that we have strong, welcoming neighborhoods. As you'll hear tonight, uh, we are very much aware that the criminal justice system both law enforcement agencies and courts across the country and locally are under scrutiny and reforms are underway. We think that is a good thing and we believe it's very worthy of our time and attention. As you will hear tonight, our municipal court has been engaging on this topic for quite some time and under the leadership of our municipal court judge, Scott Miller, we have undertaken many progressive reforms already. We expect more positive changes and continued dialogue with our community in the future as we strive to continuously improve. Again, we're very delighted to have this opportunity to talk to you about municipal court. Um, we hope it's informative for you and the public. We have um, put a lot of thought into our presentation tonight and um, we hope that it's helpful to you. We do ask that you hold the questions until the very end so that we can get through uh, the materials that we want to cover. And with that, I will turn it over to our court manager, Vicki Stanwix, and our supervising city prosecutor, Elizabeth Hafoka. Thank you. Good evening. The Lawrence Municipal Court exists to serve the Lawrence community by providing the fair, timely, impartial, and just resolution of individual cases. The court is an important pillar to our community's public safety and applies the rule of law to individual cases while protecting the rights and liberties guaranteed by both the United States and Kansas constitutions. 
Port staff are dedicated and committed to promoting the highest standards of customer service, upholding the integrity of the court, and serving the citizens of Florence in an ethical, respectful, and professional manner. Florence Municipal Court handles violations of city ordinances within the city limits. Cases are decided by the Municipal Court Judge, who is appointed by the city manager and bound by the Kansas Rules of Judicial Conduct to decide cases in an ethical and impartial manner. The Honorable Scott Miller has been the Municipal Court Judge since 2011. Judge Miller was appointed to the Supreme Court Ad Hoc Committee on Bonding Practices, Fines and Fees in 2017. He's participated in panels for the Kansas Judges Association and is a member of the Criminal Justice Coordinating Council. The City Attorney oversees all non-judicial functions of the Municipal Court and City Prosecutor's Office. The court staff consists of the court manager, a senior court clerk, six court clerks, and three part-time security officers. The City Prosecutor's Office consists of the supervising city prosecutor, a part-time city prosecutor, and three legal assistants. Sorry about that. <laughs> the Lawrence City Prosecutor's Office partners with a number of agencies, both locally and on a state level. Those include the Lawrence Police Department, KU Public Safety, Parking Control, Planning, Fire Medical, and Alcoholic Beverage Control, a division of the Kansas Department of Revenue, with the common goal of upholding the rule of law and helping to keep our community safe. There are two ways that a case is initiated in Lawrence Municipal Court. The first is when a citation is issued by one of our partner agencies. Another is when a report is submitted directly to the prosecutor's office. A prosecutor reviews the report, then determines whether to file charges. If a case is filed, a complaint and notice to appear is mailed to the person accused of violating the law. The three most frequently charged misdemeanor traffic violations are no insurance, driving under the influence of alcohol and or drugs, and driving while licensed, suspended, canceled, or revoked. A first time violation of each of these offenses carries the possibility of a fine up to $1,000 and jail time up to six months. There are mandatory minimum fines for each of these offenses, $100 for first time driving while suspended, canceled, or revoked, $300 for first time no insurance, and $750 for first time driving under the influence of alcohol and or drugs. These fine amounts may increase for subsequent convictions. The three most frequently charged misdemeanor non-traffic violations are criminal trespass, theft, and criminal damage to property. A conviction of criminal trespass and criminal damage to property carries the possibility of a fine up to $1,000 and jail time up to six months, while theft carries the possibility of a fine up to $2,500 and jail time up to one year. There are no mandatory minimum fines for these offenses, 
Typically, plea agreements and sentencing orders include a $200 fine for criminal trespass, a $400 fine for first-time theft, and a $300 fine for criminal damage to property. These fine amounts may increase for subsequent convictions. The three most frequently charged non-meter parking violations are posted no parking, parked with expired tag, and parked for more than 48 hours. These carry a fine amount of $55. The three most frequently charged traffic infractions are speeding, inattentive driving, and expired tag. The fines for inattentive driving and expired tag are $80. The fine for speeding starts at $50 and increases according to the amount, amount of miles per hour over the limit. Lawrence Municipal Court is located inside City Hall Riverfront. A person charged with a law violation is assigned a court date and time based on the type of law violation, either an infraction or a misdemeanor, either traffic or non-traffic. This first appearance date, also called an arraignment hearing, happens on Wednesdays. For most people, the municipal court may be the only interaction they have with the criminal justice system. We are interested in hearing from the public about their experience and offer several ways to submit feedback about the Lawrence Municipal Court. We have comment cards at the entrance to our office and an online survey. We now want to share with you an email that we received about someone's experience in Lawrence Municipal Court. I wanted to share my unexpectedly positive interaction with the two gentlemen working the entrance and courtroom that day. There is nothing specific to articulate about this interaction except that it was so positive and remarkable. They especially took steps to ensure that I felt comfortable when I was waiting, which the value of cannot be overstated when in an environment that is uncomfortable to those unaccustomed to it and which is not exactly cheerful. I hope they both receive positive accolades and proper recognition from their superiors. It certainly does more to build faith in government, the legal system, law enforcement interaction in this city than any number of public ad campaigns or money spent. And personalities like this who treat citizens with dignity cannot really be trained, only hired. I hope both of these men enjoy job security as long as you can keep them. When an accused person comes to court for their arraignment hearing, we make an effort to provide them with information so they may decide how they want to resolve their case. At this time, we would like to show the video that is played before each of our misdemeanor arraignment dockets. In a few moments, the judge will conduct an arraignment hearing and ask you how you want to proceed with your case. There are several options for resolving your case. I'm here to provide you with information so you can make a decision about how you want to resolve your case. The first option you have is trial. If you believe you are not guilty of the charges you have been accused of and you want your case set for trial, please inform the judge. The second option is pleading guilty or no contest. A plea of guilty is where you admit that you violated the law. A plea of no contest is where you do not admit guilt, but you do not dispute the charges against you. If you believe you are guilty of the charges you have been accused of and want to plead guilty or no contest, you may speak with a city prosecutor after you see the judge today to discuss your options for a plea agreement. A plea agreement is an agreement between you and the city prosecutor's office where you agree to plead guilty to a particular charge or particular charges. In exchange, 
exchange for your guilty plea, the city prosecutor's office may dismiss other charges and or agree to recommend a lesser punishment. The third option is applying for our diversion program. If you are interested in the diversion program, please read the diversion application packet. A diversion agreement is a contract between you and the city prosecutor's office. If you successfully complete the terms of your diversion agreement, the charges will not appear as a conviction on your record. The diversion agreement will include diversion fees and court costs. It could also include additional requirements. If you decide to apply for diversion, you may submit an application to the court clerk with the required application fee. Please make note of any required documentation for your charges. For example, if you are charged with OUI or possession of marijuana, you must obtain a substance abuse evaluation before you apply for diversion. If you are charged with MIP, you must complete alcohol information school before you apply for diversion. If you are charged with no insurance, you must include a copy of your current proof of insurance with your application. After you apply, the city prosecutor's office will review your application, your criminal history and driving record, as well as the facts of your case. It could take a minimum of 10 to 14 days for your application to be processed. If you are approved for diversion, you will receive an approval letter. You will be required to appear in court to review the diversion agreement. And if you agree to the terms of the diversion agreement, submit the initial signed diversion agreement to the court clerk. You are not on diversion simply because you apply. You must make all of your court appearances until you have been approved for diversion and submitted the initial signed diversion agreement to the court clerk. If you are denied diversion, we will notify you in writing the reason for the denial, and you may tell us how you want to proceed with your case when you appear on your next court date. If you are charged with no insurance and you had insurance at the time you received your ticket, but you didn't have the proof with you, please tell the judge. If you are charged with driving while suspended, you may contact the state and take the necessary steps to get your license reinstated. Once you have your letter of reinstatement from the state, please bring the letter with you to your next court date and inform the prosecutor that you have reinstated your license. If you have questions, you may speak with a city prosecutor after you see the judge. We cannot advise you about what you should do, but we may be able to provide you information so that you can make the best decision for how to resolve your case. Thank you. After that video is played, Judge Miller comes into the courtroom and provides even more information to everyone who is there. He explains the burden of proof, the right to an attorney, the right to trial, the right to challenge evidence, the right to confront witnesses, and other constitutional protections. Then the judge calls each defendant's name, tells them what they are charged with, and the possible penalties for the offenses charged. A not guilty plea is entered, and they are given a new court date, depending on how they wish to proceed. The new court date allows a defendant time to hire their own attorney or get court-appointed counsel at no cost to the defendant. Some defendants choose to waive their right to an attorney and proceed pro se, which means they represent themselves without the help of an attorney. Individuals may choose to speak with a prosecutor after they see the judge about options for a plea agreement or diversion. Oftentimes, I am able to make a plea offer and they may decide whether they want to accept the offer and proceed with plea and sentencing that day. Some people are charged with driving on a suspended license and they may be unsure why their license is suspended. I can look up that information in many cases and provide contact information that they can take with them that will be useful in getting their license valid. Other times they have questions about our diversion program. I provide our diversion application and explain how they may submit an application for review.
If someone submits an application for review, the city prosecutor's office will consider a number of factors when determining whether or not diversion is appropriate. These may include, but are not limited to the nature of the crime and the circumstances surrounding it, any special characteristics and circumstances of the defendant, the impact of diversion on the community, and recommendations of the victim. If diversion is successfully completed, they will not be convicted of the crime, but if they fail to complete the requirements in the diversion agreement, they may need to return to court for a trial or otherwise work out a plea agreement. If a person pleads not guilty and asks for a trial, the judge will schedule a date and time for one. If a person is found not guilty at trial, that case is closed and cannot be filed again. If the person is found guilty at trial, the court will announce the penalty. This is called sentencing. If a plea of guilty or no contest is entered and the judge finds that there are facts to support the charge, the person will be found guilty and sentenced. Within 14 days of sentencing, a defendant has an opportunity to appeal their conviction if they so choose. If there's no appeal filed, the sentencing order stands. As I mentioned earlier, there are different types of crimes charged in Lawrence Municipal Court. If the charge is an infraction, the penalty is only a fine. If the charge is a misdemeanor, the typical sentence includes a non-reporting probation term with a suspended jail sentence. When a defendant is placed on non-reporting probation, their jail sentence is suspended and they must complete the orders of probation successfully. The standard orders of non-reporting probation are no new law violations, appear in court, and complete all sentencing orders successfully. Sentencing orders may include but are not limited to obtaining an alcohol or drug evaluation, a mental health evaluation, a domestic violence evaluation, completing the recommendations of that evaluation, whether that is treatment or education, theft prevention program, anger management, a no contact order with a victim that could be a person, a residence, or a place of business, community service, drug and alcohol testing, installing an ignition interlock device, fines and fees, and restitution to the victim. There are some cases where the court sentences the defendant to serve jail time or house arrest or both prior to being granted probation. There are other cases where the defendant serves jail time or house arrest and there is no probation granted. Second time DUI offenders are ordered to complete supervised probation. In those cases, the defendant checks in with the court clerk assigned to supervise their probation. Non-reporting probation does not require a defendant to check in with the probation officer. However, a defendant must appear at a compliance review docket until all sentencing obligations have been fulfilled with proof provided to the court unless the continuance is requested and approved from the court ahead of the hearing. Some defendants request to pay their fine at the time of sentencing for a misdemeanor charge and avoid any term of probation. We believe there should not be an unfair advantage for people who have immediate access to money. In other words, all misdemeanor cases that carry the possibility of jail time will include non-reporting probation and a suspended jail sentence. This practice supports equal treatment of people regardless of who is able to pay a fine the day of sentencing and who needs time to pay a fine. After a case is closed, a defendant may request expungement of their record, including conviction, diversion, and arrest. State statute controls when and how this may be requested. 
The next clip is a statement from a defendant describing their experience with the Lawrence Municipal Court. In late 2020, I made a mistake that would dictate the next several months of my life, shape who I am today, and give me a path going forward. During the first initial steps of my case, while intimidating, the judge treated me with fairness, respect, and ensured I had the necessary insight into what I needed and what the next steps would entail. He worked with me while I took time to obtain counsel for my representation in the coming proceedings, and I'm very thankful for that as my counsel is able to work with the court and secure a plea that worked for both sides. A few days after all court proceedings concluded, I was introduced to my probation supervisor. Since the summer of 2021 and on, my supervisor and I have had two goals. One, ensure I take the right steps to better myself for this experience and as a person holistically. And two, make certain I get all legal requirements done and completed early. My supervisor has done an excellent job making sure I didn't feel like another person on a piece of paper, but instead that I felt like I was treated as my own individual self, just like everyone should be given, they have to go through a similar process. While I still have some requirements to complete, I feel as if I've already come out the other side of my mistake, a better person. My sincerest gratitude and appreciation goes to everyone involved that I work with in the Lawrence Municipal Court throughout my case. Thank you. Now that we've explained about the court process, we're gonna provide some information about the financial aspects of our court operations. The Lawrence Municipal Court is not holding defendants in jail after initial arrest simply because they do not have the ability to pay their bond. Several years ago, Judge Miller revised the court's bond schedule to allow defendants to be released on their own recognizance after an initial arrest for a misdemeanor offense. An own recognizance bond is no cost bail. The defendant is released after signing a written promise to appear in court and is not required to pay any money at that time. Here you can see the sharp decline in cash bonds in recent years. We believe that this decline is a direct effect of the court's bond schedule. Other courts may offer a cash or surety bond option. A surety bond is when a person pays a percentage of the total bond amount to a bondsman who then ensures the individual's appearance in court. The Lawrence Municipal Court does not offer surety bonds because the bonding company keeps the money paid by the defendant and the defendant loses that money. Whereas with a cash bond, the money posted stays with the court until the case is resolved and may be applied to any fines and fees assessed and may also be refunded if the person is acquitted or the case is dismissed. The city commission has not increased fines since 2013. Fines are the penalty amount associated with conviction of a certain offense. For example, a person found guilty of speeding 10 miles over the posted speed limit would be assessed an $80 fine. Fine amounts are set by law, either a precise amount or a range, including the existence of any mandatory minimum. The city commission sets the fines for traffic infractions and parking violations. The municipal court judge adjusts the fines schedule according to the ordinances that are adopted by the city commission. In 2009 and 2013, the city commission increased fines. 
There is a difference between a fine and a fee. A fee is an amount that is assessed to help offset the cost of court proceedings. An example of a fee would be court costs that are assessed to all cases except for parking infractions and seatbelt violations. The city commission has not increased court costs since 2011. The current amount of court cost assessed is $63. Of this amount, $23.50 is required to be remitted to the state of Kansas, and it is divided among several funds. Some of these funds provide training for law enforcement personnel and judges, and some provide assistance to victims of crime, trauma, or abuse. The remaining $39.50 stays with the city as established by ordinance. Of this amount, $10 goes into a fund that is reserved for court and technology improvements, such as upgraded court software, electronic citation capabilities, electronic submission of convictions, suspensions, and reinstatements to the Kansas Department of Revenue, and the move to our riverfront location in 2019. The remaining $29.50 is deposited into the city's general fund. Despite limited increases to fines and fees in years past, the cost of a traffic citation in the Lawrence Municipal Court is on the lower end and below the average in comparison with other courts in Kansas. As an example, this chart shows the total cost to a person for a red light violation, specifically in 13 area courts, including the Douglas County District Court. The Lawrence Municipal Court is highlighted in yellow. In a fine fee survey conducted by the Kansas Association for Court Management, several municipal courts in Kansas reported charging a variety of fees to defendants in addition to their assessed fine as this chart reflects. Some of these include jail fees, public defender fees, motion filing fees, or trial fees. The Lawrence Municipal Court assesses certain fees to defendants for the administration of their case, such as a fingerprinting fee, a supervised probation fee, and the portion of court costs that is retained by the city. Recently, the court decided to no longer assess a fee when a warrant is issued. This chart reflects revenues to the city of Lawrence by category. This was published in the city's 2022 budget book. In 2021, municipal court fines and fees comprised 0.44% of the city's revenue distribution. That is less than 1% of the city's total revenue. It is projected that this number will be even less in 2022. To add some perspective to these numbers, in 2015, the Missouri Supreme Court released a report that gave a review of Missouri's municipal court divisions in Ferguson and statewide. Among other findings, the Ferguson Municipal Court's revenue was more than 20% of their city's general fund. That is not the approach that the city takes or has ever taken to municipal court operations. We believe that the purpose of municipal court is to hold people accountable for law violations, not to generate revenue for the city. We offer an alternative to payment. In the Lawrence Municipal Court, community service in lieu of fines is available to everyone. The community service program is a partnership with Douglas County. The Lawrence Municipal Court and Douglas County District Court may refer defendants to the community service coordinator. 
This coordinator assists individuals with getting community service hours set up, verifies the community service hours have been completed, and communicates the number of verified hours to the appropriate court. In municipal court, defendants receive credit of $10 per hour completed towards outstanding fines. And in district court, defendants receive credit of $7 per hour completed toward outstanding fines. Community service hours can be worked at several nonprofit and government agencies in our community, including soup kitchens, community gardens, animal shelters, and food banks, such as the Ballard Center, Just Food, the Lawrence Humane Society, and others. This program benefits our community and these agencies by providing help in fulfilling their mission and allowing defendants the opportunity to give back to their community rather than paying money to the court. The Lawrence Municipal Court has a very robust community service program in comparison to several peer cities in Kansas. For example, the city of Topeka Municipal Court reported 783 community service hours worked in 2021. And the city of Overland Park Municipal Court reported only 38 hours worked by one individual. Other courts reported having no way to record or track the hours worked. In 2021, there were 78 individuals from the Lawrence Municipal Court who used community service work as an alternative to fines and our community received the benefit of over 2,100 hours of work. Another alternative to paying a fine is the inmate worker program. This allows a person serving jail time to work while they are incarcerated. That work is credited to their fines where appropriate. This type of work may include tasks at the jail, like doing dishes, mopping the floor, doing laundry, and helping prepare food in the kitchen. The Douglas County Jail plays a critical role in helping determine who qualifies for these types of jobs. Once all fines are satisfied, individuals may receive day-for-day -day credit towards their jail sentence. Individuals who do not honor their promise to appear in court may have a warrant issued for their arrest. Not all missed hearings result in arrest warrants being issued, either immediately or at all. For minor traffic offenses and other fine only offenses, an additional notice is often sent giving the person who has missed court 30 additional days before a warrant is issued. Missing compliance review hearings where progress of completion of fines, fees, restitution, treatment, and other court ordered requirements is discussed does not result in the issuance of a bench warrant. Missing these hearings though, could lead to filing motions to revoke their probation or parole. The Lawrence Municipal Court makes an effort to ensure that individuals are informed of upcoming court appearances, that they're able to get to their court appearances, and they have opportunities to handle a missed court appearance without arrest or incarceration. A two-week continuance is granted to anyone who requests to reschedule their first appearance date. If additional continuances are requested, Motion for continuance forms are available online and are available in our office and on our website. Staff can provide these forms to defendants via email or in person. In the fall of 2018, court staff began making court date reminder calls. In the summer of 2020, the court piloted a text notification program. To date, 482 defendants have opted in for text reminders. This year, the court has partnered with the Homeless Outreach Program at Burt Nash, who will work 
work to inform persons experiencing houselessness of upcoming court dates. The court provides free bus passes to individuals who need transportation to court and our staff will assist those who may need help finding the most efficient bus route from their location. The court has an add-on docket each weekday at 8 a.m. to allow defendants who have missed their court date to speak with the judge, obtain a new court date, and resolve their case even if a bench warrant has already been issued. On average, a larger number of warrants are recalled by the judge than served by a jail booking. This is significant and shows the court's willingness to lift warrants in-house when appropriate. <clears throat> These collective efforts have resulted in a decrease in failures to appear. Court collections processes are governed by state statute and apply to Kansas courts. Some district courts have a trustee's office that acts as their collections agency. Some district courts and most municipal courts use a third party agency for collection services. The state statute allows a collection fee of up to 33% of the amount collected, which is the percentage that the Douglas County Trustee's Office adds to a defendant's balance if the full balance due is not paid within 60 days. The Lawrence Municipal Court recognizes that not all defendants require the same amount of time to fulfill their sentencing orders. The court offers a monthly compliance review docket to allow defendants who owe fines and fees, restitution, treatment, or other obligations to check in with the judge and receive additional time to pay or to complete these requirements. Multiple continuances are often granted to allow individuals the time they need to get everything accomplished. There are situations when a defendant does not complete these requirements. In some circumstances, if there is a remaining balance due, the case is submitted to collections. We have a contract with an agency for collection services for fines and fees or restitution owed to municipal court. That contract was obtained through the city's RFP process. A case is submitted to the collection agency only after the case has been resolved either by conviction or diversion. Fine only offenses may be submitted to collections at least 60 days after a compliance review date is missed. This procedure is different for cases where the defendant is on probation. If their probation ends up being surrendered or revoked and not reinstated, any balance owed would be submitted to collections. If a resolved case is on a warrant status for failing to appear at a probation or diversion revocation hearing, and that warrant is not served in five years, the warrant is purged and any balanced owed is submitted to collections. The collection agency we contract with charges a 20% commission on the total amount they collect. Since law requires the cost of collection, state law requires that the cost of collection shall be paid from the amount collected and shall not be deducted from the debts owed to municipal court or restitution. This means that if the balance owed on a case is $100, the amount the court submits to collections is $125. Once the balance is collected, $25 stays with the collection agency and $100 is remitted back to the court. People serving time in the Douglas County Jail for municipal court only offenses make up a small percentage of the total jail population. This chart reflects the municipal court average daily population as it contributes to the Douglas County Jail's overall daily population for the past six years. 
The municipal court is charged the current daily rate for each person who's booked into jail on municipal court charges only and held for more than one hour. The city is billed for one day, regardless of whether that person is there for one hour and one minute or up to 24 hours. The figures on the chart were calculated by dividing the total number of days billed in the year by 365. The days reflected on the chart include people who were assigned a bed in a cell, as well as those who were booked and released if that process took more than an hour. The average municipal court daily population in 2021 was 9.1 people compared to the jail's overall daily population of 141 people. As you can see, municipal court's daily jail population average is considerably less than district court and has declined by 65% since 2018. Defendants may serve jail sentences because of their prior criminal history. They may serve jail sentences resulting from probation violation sanctions. There are certain circumstances where a person who is in district court custody also has an open municipal court case. That person may be awaiting trial in district court or transport to state prison, but they are not in municipal court custody. However, they may choose to surrender their probation or surrender their bond in municipal court so they are in custody on their municipal court case. Then they get credit towards any municipal court sentence, and if they are in jail longer than their municipal court sentence, when they are released from state custody or district court custody, they do not have to come back to municipal court to fulfill probation orders or other sentencing orders. 88.5% of municipal court jail stays are for less than five days. There are certain law violations that require an arrest, such as DUI and domestic violence. This means that if an officer has probable cause to believe that a person is committing the crime of driving under the influence of alcohol and or drugs, or is committing a crime that involves domestic violence as defined in state law, the officer must arrest that person and that person is booked into jail. Most of these situations result in, an, in a release on an OR bond, and the length of stay depends on how long the process takes for jail personnel to process the book and release. Some state laws require that certain municipal convictions carry mandatory minimum jail sentences. These include driving while suspended second and driving while suspended third or subsequent offenses and driving under the influence of alcohol or drugs first and second offenses. Oftentimes, these sentences require at least 48 hours in jail. Defendants in jail may be seen by video every day the court is open. If they request an attorney, one is appointed and they are set for an attorney jail docket. These dockets used to take place once a week. Several years ago, Judge Miller added an additional inmate docket to reduce the amount of time someone in jail has to wait to have an attorney represent them. These dockets are now held, now held on Tuesdays and Fridays and help contribute to jail stays of less than five days. House arrest is an important alternative to jail because it allows a person to serve a term of confinement at their own house instead of in jail. If there is a mandatory minimum sentence, the law may allow a person to serve house arrest after 48 hours in jail. Some of these mandatory minimum sentences are up to 90 days. Another reason this program is important is because the jail no longer offers work release. 
House arrest is liberally used by municipal court when it is lawful to do so. When a person is placed on house arrest, they are ordered confined to their home, but are usually provided a reasonable amount of release time to go to work, attend school, court appearances, and medical appointments. Their movement and freedom is still controlled and monitored, but they are able to continue to participate in society and at home instead of being confined in jail. Participants are monitored by electronic devices to ensure that they remain at permitted locations and that they do not consume alcohol or illegal drugs. Douglas County permits defendants with qualifying household income to receive house arrest supervision without cost. Defendants who do not qualify under these guidelines may choose from one of several private house arrest providers and must pay for their supervision. We are aware that the criminal justice system is actively being reviewed across the country. We are open to changes that promote the fair and impartial administration of justice. In September of 2017, a Kansas Supreme Court order was issued establishing the ad hoc committee on bonding practices, fines and fees in municipal courts. The committee was comprised of judges and attorneys in Kansas, including Lawrence Municipal Court Judge Scott Miller. The committee's work resulted in a list of 18 recommendations applicable to Kansas municipal courts. This slide lists the 18 recommendations of the ad hoc committee and the status of implementation in the Lawrence Municipal Court. Some recommendations were already in place at the time of the study. As you can see, 12 of the 18 recommendations have been implemented here in Lawrence. Of the remaining six recommendations, Three of them require legislative changes at the state level. One will require further work and research by the committee. One is in progress and one is not applicable to our court since the previous measure had already been implemented. The Lawrence Municipal Court strives to provide citizens with the tools they need to be successful in satisfying their court ordered obligations and connects them to community resources to help them succeed in the future. Some of these include granting continuances, reminding individuals of upcoming court dates via text and phone, making a daily add-on docket available, collaborating with Burt Nash to contact individuals experiencing houselessness, offering free bus passes, providing interpreter services and court-appointed counsel, assisting individuals with steps to take towards driver's license reinstatement, accepting a variety of payment methods, allowing community service work in lieu of fines, reviewing motions for reduction in fines and fees, connecting individuals to resources for substance abuse treatment, mental health treatment, domestic violence treatment, and theft offender treatment. Many cases in Lawrence Municipal Court involve crimes against victims. Whether it's property damage, trespass, theft, assault, battery, domestic violence, causing an accident while driving under the influence or while driving without insurance, or dog attacks on people or pets, people in our community are affected by the actions of others. Most of the time, victims do not choose to be victims, yet they find themselves in the criminal justice system after suffering harm due to another person's criminal actions. 
Sometimes they have to testify in court. Sometimes they request the court order a defendant to pay restitution or complete treatment. Many victims rely on municipal court to help restore some of what they have lost as a result of the crime committed against them. Now we want to share feedback received from a victim in one of our municipal court cases. My wife and I were very impressed and appreciative of the entire process, beginning with the fair and objective engagement of the police, sensitivity to the crime committed, and willingness to press charges by the prosecutor, and then the thoughtful deliberation and sentence from the judge. The event for some could be considered trivial, not to us. More importantly, it's through such valuable public engagement that our society discusses, debates, establishes, and maintains the values and laws that ensure a civil society. A judge once told me and others in voir dire that while it's far from perfect and disappointing at times, it's the best in the world and we're incredibly lucky to have established the system of law we enjoy. In closing, we want Lawrence to be a community where all people feel safe and secure and have access to trusted public and community-based resources. Looking ahead, we're in the final draft stages of creating two brochures that will be available in our office and online. The first is Municipal Court 101. This brochure gives helpful information to the public about our court process, what to expect at a court appearance, and contact information for our staff. The second will provide information about various community resources, such as drug and alcohol treatment centers, house arrest agencies, counseling services, driver's license agencies, and even food banks. Having phone numbers for various services in one handy location should be helpful to defendants needing to obtain these services. We plan to have both of these brochures available in both English and Spanish. Additionally, the Lawrence Municipal Court would like to expand the scope of its probation department and the role of its next probation officer to include the duties of a court navigator position. This person would monitor a portion of our supervised probation caseload, work to connect defendants to valuable community and mental health resources, and assist defendants in navigating their way through the court process, including those people who may have multiple cases in multiple courts. Lawrence Municipal Court exists to administer justice to the people of the city of Lawrence in a fair, equitable, efficient, professional and consistent manner. In many cases, people are held accountable for their unlawful conduct. In some cases, people are connected with important community resources that may positively impact their lives moving forward. We strive to provide this core service to our community while promoting the rule of law and balancing the rights and liberties of all persons involved. This concludes our presentation. Are there any questions? Well, I'll go ahead and start. Hi, good. Thank you. Thank you for the information. It's um, very, very valuable. I've been waiting for it and good to hear. So I have a few questions. Um, so when does a case go to the district attorney versus municipal court? What's the difference between that? So most misdemeanors and infractions are um, handled in municipal court uh, that are investigated by the Lawrence Police Department and the University of Kansas uh, Office of Public Safety. All felonies go to district court. Uh, 
And misdemeanors that are investigated by Kansas Highway Patrol or the Douglas County Sheriff's Office would also go to, to Douglas County District Court. Um, the city of Lawrence, uh, the jurisdiction for Lawrence Municipal Court includes crimes that happen in the city, while District Court includes the city and the county. Okay. Um, the only uh, charge that is a misdemeanor that we don't prosecute is uh, domestic battery. We don't have an ordinance for that. So all of the domestic battery cases go to district court. Okay. Okay. So in our, our daily jail, um, the day is 9.1 people in 2021. Is that correct? Per day? That's per day. Is that right? Um, how much per day are they charging right now at the jail, charging up the city? I believe it's 101. 101. So, so that counts. That's about $330,000 would have cost us in 2021. So, in addition, we get charged that. Does that come out of the general fund, Craig, or does that come out of? I believe it would. The courts under the general fund. The general fund. Okay. So, so that's also a cost to the city, unfortunately. Um, have you have you thought about, or maybe you're already doing this, um, considering a restorative justice program in the in the municipal court system? The county is getting ready to kick one off, or they are in the process of doing that. I have not heard any discussions um, or about any discussions uh, to do a restorative justice program in municipal court. Um, I We had a meeting not that long ago uh, with some people from the county and we talked about restorative justice. Um, I think that Lawrence Municipal Court would be interested in doing that and using that model um, if that could be created and uh, we would certainly be open to that. Okay, thank you very much. I'm really impressed by all the methods you've put into in place to keep that, you know, decrease that fine and help folks pay it off through work programs. I just think it seems like we've done a really good job. Thank you. Oh, I, I just had a quick, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Commissioner Little John. <laughs> oh, uh, well, it's uh, to follow up uh, with Vice Mayor Larson's question. Um, I just had a quick question on um, how often are uh, fines and fees are reviewed um, uh, just to see if they're ap still applicable? Um, it's we review them on an annual basis. Um, usually once a year, often around this time of year, we do... Um, I contact the peer uh, cities around us. Um, another real helpful resource to me is the Kansas Association of Court Management, um, which I'm a member of, and they do a, a fines and fee, annual fines and fee survey in which they ask a lot of questions of municipal courts all over the state of Kansas. So I use that as a tool um, also to kind of see where we fall. Um, and our goal has always been to stay on the lower end um, of, of what courts are charging. And, you know, there are some courts that will charge a, a lower court cost or maybe no court cost. Maybe they don't keep any portion of the city's court cost, but their fines are higher, um, considerably higher in some places. And so, you know, they're still getting the, the overall cost of a, a traffic infraction, for instance, is higher, um, you know, a lot of other courts. And so we try to weigh out all of those, um, all of those options when we're looking at, at fines. Uh, yeah, go ahead, dear. <laughs> thank you, Mayor Shipley. Uh, and, and thank you, Vicki, and thank you, Elizabeth, for being here. I do have a couple of technical and clarifying questions. Um, 
that I wanted to offer. There was in the early part of your presentation, there was in regards to tag fines. I thought I heard there was a fine of $55 for an expired tag. And then I thought I heard $85 for an expired tag. Can you, can you clarify that for me? So there are two types of expired tag citations or um, illegal or unlawful tag. One is moving. So if an uh, officer stops a vehicle who has an expired tag, they would be issued the fine for um, operating a motor vehicle with an expired tag. The other is if you're parked on a city, basically a city right of way with an expired tag, then you'd be issued uh, parked with unlawful or illegal tag. So the parking violation is 55 and the, the, the driving violation is 80. 80. I might, I might just add to that, that um, it is a court policy that if um, a, an individual receives a parking ticket um, for expired tag and they have their tags renewed, maybe they forgot their sticker um, and they, they, bring in, they bring their registration in and show us before their court date, we will dismiss that charge. Okay, good to know. So that then leads into my next question. So for the proof of insurance, that requires a court date, correct? Yes, it does. And then that court date, so then if a person is able at that time is able to show proof of insurance at the time of citation written, do they enter a plea or are they doing similar to the tag? If they can show proof of insurance at that time, are they they're not required to enter a plea and it's fees or what what does that process look like? Um, so within 10 days of being issued a citation, you can bring your proof of insurance to the court and um, show that you had proof of insurance at the time of the stop. Um, also, you can bring it to court if you don't make it within 10 days. If a person submits insurance from the time of the citation, that charge is put on a stay and there is a form submitted to the state of Kansas. The state contacts that insurance company to find out, was this policy actually in effect? If it was not in effect, then the state uh, sends a form back informing the court and the stay is lifted. If there's no answer within 60 days, assuming that the insurance is valid, then the stay uh, isn't lifted. It just automatically gets dismissed. Okay, thank you, Elizabeth. Um, with the diversion agreement, so in the presentation, you in the video presentation, there was a walkthrough if a person wants to go through a diversion, and there's the reviewing of the contract, there's the fees, the and, and the steps to do that. Is that person, is that individual making that decision that day in regards to the diversion agreement? And is there someone to assist them? with that process. So if I was to come in and wanted to agree to a diversion, um, but I didn't have the money for the fee at that time, does that, does that render me, am I then not available, is, is diversion then not available to me or what happens in that case, in that situation? Diversion, the, the ability or the opportunity to apply for diversion is there up until trial. Okay. So if a person is not able to uh, submit an application but wants to, but they can't do it at their arraignment hearing, they would get the 
court date in the future, and that could also be continued several times in order to allow them time to apply. If someone is approved for diversion, when they come back to court, they have a contract. If they're unable to pay the diversion fees at that time, we give them time to pay and also the opportunity to do community service instead of diversion fees if they choose. So they would have time to do those hours. Okay, great. Um, two more questions and I'll be done. Um, failure to appear. So I know we have the text alerts um, that folks opt in, can opt in to receive text alerts about their court dates and whatnot. In the event that if someone has opted into that and they fail to appear, do we do text alerts to let them know that they missed a court date? We don't currently do that. Um, uh, we're just through the pilot phase really of, um, and, and we only have the one notification in place, but we have had some discussions with our court software vendor about the possibility of doing some follow-up text as well as a text notification uh, when a 30-day notice is sent, possibly another text notification if a warrant is issued. Um, I would even like to see a text notification for how much a person owes before their compliance review date. You know, they get the reminder saying, here's your date, but uh, I would like it to also say, and this is what this is what you owe. Um, and so we're working on some of those things and we hope to implement some of those in the future. Thank you, Vicki. You were reading my mind because that was going to be my follow-up <laughs> in regards to fees and whatnot. So is that a matter of the vendor not having the capability or is that something as far as what we the pot the product that we have because most no. text most tech systems they charge you per text so i'm imagining that's probably the situation here we just don't have that uh, we, we just didn't sign up for that product well yes uh, we get charged a monthly fee um which gives us um a standard number of text messages each month and so far we you know we've always stayed really well within that and i think even with adding some text messages we would still be fine our fee may go up but, but the holdup really is is not uh really either of those things that the system has the capability for some of those notifications some of them are kind of my idea at this point and i have to you know really present that to them and get them on board but but there are some that we just need to um, set up time with the vendor to get it set up, get some training on it, um, test it. Usually it goes through a, a few months of a testing process just to make sure that it works. We went through some extensive testing when we first uh, started it. So we just have some of those things still to work out. But I think it I think it very well may happen before the end of the year. And 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 if we if you were to implement that, do we have capacity currently to execute that or would that be something that would enroll into that probation officer slash, you know, navigator position or what, what, what do you feel like you have current capacity to take on that additional work? Yes, we do. Because really once it's, once it's implemented into the system, it's not a lot of work on court staff at all. Um, it's all an automated process. And so we really wouldn't see an increase in our workload uh, just from additional text messages at all. Okay, and then my last question, which I don't know if you would have the data on it, but in regards to collections and that relationship with the collection fee and the commission from the third party vendor, do you have data on the number, what is our percentage of individuals that we send to 
store that are sent to collections who are successful in paying it off, not successful, that type of data. Do we have that available? Um, I don't have that available right now. I do have some information on submissions um, from last year. If you would like me to, I can grab that real quick. I believe we sent 482 cases to collections uh, last year. I can find it. And you know that the return is not great. Um, we we typically receive between one and two thousand dollars back a month um, from cases that have gone to collections. That's just a ballpark figure. Here we go. So there were 429 cases, I'm sorry, sent to collections in 2021. Uh, the total fines and fees on that was $192,000. Uh, the average fine amount that gets sent to collections is $447. The most frequent amount, however, of fines submitted is $20, actually, followed by $173. And those $20 fines are people who have been adjudicated of meter parking fines and they, they never come back to pay, and they don't follow through with the compliance review date. So we, we do send some of those um, to collections. Some of the drivers of the higher fines are, are due to those mandatory minimum fines that we have that we must impose on driving while suspended thirds and things like that. And some of the higher fines are the ones that end up in collections um, if a defendant surrenders their probation or a warrant is issued and it's never served. Um, in fact, about 40% of the cases that we sent to collections last year were due to those five-year-old warrants that had uh, money amounts due, but uh, were no longer eligible to be served. So we purged the case in the court, sent the fines to collections. Okay. And I can get you some more data on that if you're interested. If, if you'd like to know on the return, I can get you some of those numbers. That, that, would, that would be great. I would appreciate that. I do have a sure. one small addendum. Um, of a question. On your list of um, fines and fees, we had three that we do. There's one in particular, fingerprint fees. And so oftentimes with those, you know, you're saying that when someone is, I guess, booked, there's the, the cost of that. But oftentimes, you know, like teachers, childcare providers, need fingerprints for the state. And does that fee, is the portion of that fee, does, does the portion of that fee remain in the city? Or in that case, does all of it, does it go to certain areas? And, and outside those non, those non-criminal fingerprints that may be done that relate in a fingerprint fee? Um, no, the fingerprint fees um, all stay with the city. Um, in the in the general fund. So whether it's a defendant that's been convicted of a misdemeanor or um, a teacher, somebody applying for, you know, adoption, um, there, there's lots of reasons that we may do that. And that $10 fee will stay with the city in every circumstance. I have exhausted all my questions. Thank you, ladies. <laughs> sure. A few questions. A couple of, I'm curious, just curious about and a couple of probably more substantive. Um, Back when I was a, a prosecutor, some of the things you said, I was a prosecutor back 25 years ago. It used to be that you, um, if someone missed a court appearance and you issued a warrant, you also suspended the license. Do they still suspend license for failure to appear? So licenses are suspended for failure to appear on a traffic infraction 
after a 30-day notice has been sent. Yeah. That is required by law. Yeah, that's still and, and then if there's no response to the 30-day notice, then the license is also suspended. And in most cases, a warrant is also issued, yes. So that's still the state law that is required. Um, I assume we still have the public defenders that we put out to bid. Is, is it KU students and Hodham and that group, or is it someone else now? It's been so long. So Hottam is um, on contract with us for our indigent defense services, and he handles the majority of the cases. If there's a conflict, um, we utilize the uh, Kansas Legal Services um, through KU, and they have interns, you know, come down. It's a great experience for them yeah. to get to do that, yeah. Um, I think you mentioned the warrant fee is recently, fairly recently gone away. When did, yes. when did we take, when did we drop that fee? Just last month. Oh, well, that is recent. Yes. No wonder I had no that. <laughs> okay. Um, let's see. The what is the cost now for for house arrest? It used to be that house arrest was more expensive than than jail. Um, but I don't know what the fees are now. Like a daily rate compared to one hundred one dollars in the jail. Well, right now the cost to the city is zero. Um, we are partnering with the county on that, and we currently do not. Uh, pay the county for that service that they provide. They they have been providing that for a few years now. Oh, okay. And we don't charge, well, based upon income, some people don't pay, other people would pay for house arrest. Correct. Correct. Okay. Yes. Okay. But curious, do you know what the, just out of curiosity, what the fee is? Since you don't pay it, you might not know. I'm just curious. <laughs> I don't, but I can okay. find that out for you. Okay. Um, other couple questions related to the county. So our contract with the county requires us to pay if if the person's there for one hour. So it doesn't matter. One hour what, and one minute. One hour. So it doesn't matter why. I mean, if right. if, a, if a sheriff officer shows up with two people right in front of us, even if someone's on all bond, that person might be charged because they're there more than an hour. But the next person, they process in 30 minutes, they're not charged. And there are actually several people each month that we do not get charged for because they do get them in and out, you know, in less than an hour. That's going to be my next question. Is it is a typical OR bond less than an hour or is it typically more than an hour? I would estimate that the majority of the OR bonds are less than an hour or, you know, right at maybe an hour. It just kind of depends, I think, on how busy the jail is yeah. and, and how much staff they have to, to book people in and out. Okay. Um, and I know there's situations where people are in jail on both the Douglas County case and a municipal case. They might be serving um, concurrent time. Under our agreement with the county, do we pay, do we pay when they're on both, or do, if they're on a county charge, do we not have to pay? We don't pay for those, and that's why we did not include them in our average yeah. daily population because. Uh, uh, you know, a lot of those people, if they were not in district court custody, they also wouldn't be there for us. But but they have asked to serve their time while they're in district court custody um, and surrender their probation, possibly. And um, so that's why they're there. So those, you know, we don't have to pay for those. If the county should release them and we aren't ready to release them yet, then the billing would switch to us. And I think my last question is, um, who... The community service of ten dollars now. I know that's more than the county gives them. Who sets that amount? Is that by code, or is that by the judge, or by the prosecutor? The judge, Judge Miller. Yeah, he, he's the one that um, increased that. He 
he felt like it was a, a really great idea and a great opportunity for our defendants. And I think that it has worked out very well because I think we've gotten a large increase in participation because of that. But for example, if we wanted to, if we wanted it to be set like at the living wage of the city, that, that would be something we'd have to request of the judge. That'd be a judge decision, not something we set. I think you could probably pass an ordinance. Yes. <laughs> no, you okay. could. Yeah, you could. Okay. But right now we don't have that in an ordinance. No. Not. Okay. That's all the questions I have at the moment. Thanks. One follow up. So um, I was thinking that when we discussed some of this last fall or whenever it was, is that the idea was to determine if there's um, some of the charges that are on that long list of charges you guys uh, have control over, whether or not some of those could be taken off, um, cold down, whatever. Is that at all in your purview or thought about? That would be something that if, if you wish us to bring that back before you um, for discussion, that would definitely be something for your consideration. And if, you know, if you're interested in that, that would be, that would be something that you most certainly could do. Okay. All right. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Um, let's go to see if we have any public comment. I'm sure we do. Uh, let's go to the room. Okay. Want me to? Oh, sorry. We're going to okay. do a public comment in the room. If you're online, if you could just wait, we'll get to you here in a second. Thank you. Be sure, be sure to mute yourself. My name is Michael again. Um, I appreciate all the information. However, they haven't given you all of the information. They said that there was two ways to get a charge. There's a third way. Submit an open records request for a video that's been withheld. That's right. Lauren Summers withheld a video from a case that I was involved in. And before I go too far, I guess I should say that the statute of limitations on my latest dismissed BS charge doesn't expire until July of 23. If I get charges after this, I will sue. <clears throat> but Lauren Summers withheld a video in a case, an exculpatory video that basically supported most of what I was saying in the case. Tried to prosecute me for it. When I submitted the open record request, three days later, I was recharged and had extra charges added on. This is all documented. Lauren Summers is being investigated by the Office of Disciplinary Committee. Elizabeth Hifoka knows about it. Vicki Stanwyck signed off on it. I had never met these people. I'm a little more animated now. I've been spending the last half hour over there trying to meditate to calm down because this whole presentation angered me because of my experience. They have a couple people that sent you some information or, or it sounded to me more like those were actors reading emails. But if that's what it was, that's not the, the, the consensus and the end all. You know, they may be able to bring in a couple of emails that, that sound all great and everything. But when a prosecutor uses her awesome powers to persecute somebody who wanted to see a video of himself getting his ass handed to him by a group of people while he was doing his job, that's how you get another charge. They used words like they partner with LPD for the goal of upholding the law. None of these people had met me. They had never met me. How did they get the idea to escalate this way? 
question. We'll leave that one though. <clears throat> Talked about equitable rights and liberties. And the right not to be unjustly prosecuted. I can tell you that BS charges, while they have this great fine schedule and you can work it off, the BS charges will cost you a year of your life or more. Stress, anger, visible anger, breaking stuff, anger. And about $2,500 for a legal attorney. So yeah, there's another way to get a charge. File an open records request. I've been talking a lot about open records requests and this city needs to get it figured out. It's not gonna work the way you're doing it. Have a good night. Is there any other public comment in the room? Hi, I'm Chris Flowers. Um, I have written down the positive feedback. I found that very interesting. And I, I fully believe our prosecutors, like of all the, the feedback they got, that was the most negative. Everyone else, they, they raved even harder about how great the going through the municipal court procedure is. Like, I, I just thought, I, I agree with the previous commenter, like that's kind of the, the feedback they chose. I don't think the average feedback you're gonna get if you go ask someone, what was your experience like going through the court system? They're not gonna talk about, oh, it was, it was a great experience. I, I had a, it was positive. I, I don't think that's gonna happen. I've been through the court system and I would not give it positive feedback. And one thing I wanna talk about is we need to quit making marijuana users go through drug, like the drug, <laughs> drug classes. That's a waste of time. So um, also, um, when it comes to fines, um, I I think they should be based more on income, like a fine for someone make like a, a hundred dollar fine for someone making ten dollars an hour. That's gonna not have the same impact on someone making fifty dollars an hour. So I was just wondering if fines should be based more on income. Um, I appreciate. Um, the, the Fink bringing up living wage. Um, I wish y'all would do that for your city employees though. I mean, if, if, if you do pass something about saying that people doing community service should make a living wage, shouldn't our own city employees make a living wage? Um, also parking over 48 hours. Um, I think that should be increased. I mean, that was something mentioned about one of the top fines for parking. Um, we should let people park more than 48 hours. Cause like, what well, if it's Memorial weekend, like there you get a three day weekend, you go, kids come home to visit their parents. And cause I knew someone, he, he parked at his parents' house for like three days. They had a neighbor that doesn't like them. So as soon as that 48 hours was up, he's calling the police. So, um, that's something else I had. And so I guess that's pretty much it. But yeah, I I kind of just, the thing that struck out the most was just the positive feedback. Cause I don't think that's, that's really what most people think. Thank you. Thank you. Any other public comment in the room? Doesn't look like it. Let's go ahead and go to online. Martin Dubois. Yes, thank you. Uh, my name is Martin Dubois. I'm a longtime Lawrence resident. 
I, I appreciate being able to do this remotely, although it looks like it might have been a little more exciting at times to be be down there with you in person. Um, the um, I think, you know, I feel pretty good about the, what the city and the county and the judicial system top to bottom of, of, of that they're working towards uh, making the system more fair and equitable. And I think everybody in this room, in this meeting will agree that we don't want anybody incarcerated that does not need to be incarcerated, whether it be an hour, an hour and one minute, so that the city gets charged for full day, two hours, 24 hours, 48, whatever. No one wants anybody to be incarcerated that uh, does not need to be incarcerated. And, uh, you know, um, Commissioner Larson, you mentioned that you were questioning about the, the rate of, of incarceration rate, uh, the jail inmate population, and pointed that in 2021, 9.1 of the inmates, the average per day was 9.1. And they, the presenter mentioned that this was of the municipal, uh, attributable to the municipal court only. Mm -hmm. um, now there, are, we don't know that was not presented, and I would hope that might be included, is the number of inmates on average that are from both courts, okay? I think that would help be a, a little more transparent. Now, the average number of inmates, we think we know that, I'd, I'd like to get some feedback from those that presented on this, uh, is low in part because the average uh, rate or, or time served by um, municipal court-related uh, uh, inmate time is very short, so it's like a revolving door. I, I think that it might be more appropriate to get a good full picture and full transparency is to provide statistics on bookings based on the municipal court, uh, out of municipal court. The bookings, not the daily average, but the number of bookings, because if you look at that, that number, it's significantly different. And I, I, I'll point, I'll throw out some statistics and then hear comment, I hope, from the, the panel that did the discussion. Um, this, is, now this is based on publicly available data Sorry. from the county jail dashboard. Sorry, there. sir. Your time's come up, but um, I want you to hang tight because I'm entirely certain one of us wants to hear the rest of that sentence. <laughs> Uh, but for in the interest of fairness, we have to allow the next person to comment. My, my apologies for running over. No, no, stay right there. Don't go. Stay right there. Is there anyone else online who would like to comment? We're not seeing anyone else there. Okay, well, keep watching just in case we'll bring it back to the commission. Uh, Anyone on the commission interested in asking Mr. Du Bois uh, what the rest of his comments were? Uh, Baldy, yeah. could you tell us the average bookings <laughs> based upon public available information? Okay, uh, this is off the, the dashboard, publicly available. If you look at the time period from January 1st, 2017 to present or to May 9th, 
29% uh, of jail bookings were attributable to municipal court only. Okay, not district court or not municipal and district, municipal court. 2021, it would be 25% of bookings. That's 25% of bookings. And that would be approximately four times the six and a half percent, the 9.1 that we're pointing out in 2021 average was 6.5%. Uh, the four times that number is were booked uh, on the average, if you get what I mean, because it is a revolving door. So uh, those are the points I wanted to make. Uh, I, I think that the, this problem uh, this does show that there, there are a lot of people that are booked out of municipal court. And anything that we can do to reduce that by finding cases that don't need to be incarcerated would be uh, cost effective. And it also would make the lives of those folks a lot, um, their family lives, their work lives and so on, uh, a lot smoother. And that's it for, for now. Thank you. <clears throat> and I have a question. Uh, can you explain one, the difference between a booking, I, I think I know, but for the uh, the difference between a booking and the the charge, and, and then it, again, this, assumingly the difference, all the people who are booked and released within an hour, is that the difference between the two? Maybe come on, come up and explain both of those for us. So if someone is booked in and released on an OR bond, less than an hour is the time that it takes at the jail, then it's going to count as a booking because that officer is going to put into their computer system that person was booked, um, but it's not going to count into our uh, average total, uh, average daily population for municipal court because we're only charged for longer than an hour. Um, you know, keep in mind there are, like I said, must arrest statutes. Um, so if someone is arrested for DUI or if the officer has probable cause to believe that they're DUI, they must be arrested by state statute um, and then they can be bonded out right away uh, without changing the law you know, at the state level or and I don't see how you can get around that unless you just don't enforce DUIs, which I'm certainly not suggesting. Um, domestic violence is another must arrest. So we don't prosecute domestic battery in municipal court, but we do prosecute crimes with a domestic violence designation. And we're required um, you know, to tag those cases if, if the facts support that legal definition. So if an officer is investigating a domestic disturbance and ends up, um, you know, having probable cause to make that arrest, um, then they're going to arrest that person and they're going to be booked out. So, we, you know, it's, it's hard to say um, what, where those, I guess, percentages and how they differ from the average daily rate. We understand there may be some discrepancy. I think those can be explained, you know, when you take into consideration that it's longer than an hour um, that someone would count towards the average daily total population and less than an hour where they may be booked and released. Thank you. Okay. Oh, I had an additional question for you I, and it was sort of related to it. Um, and thank you again for all the information you provided. Um, I, when Mr. Dubois mentioned the dashboard, it just got me thinking about the interrelationship between the county and ourselves. How, how able are we to, uh, I mean, I, I would assume we have access to that information, but um, uh, are we able to figure out of those nine people that are, you know, 
in in jail for those that amount of time that that average the daily average what they were booked for or what they were charged with and kind of narrowed down the focus of what are the most prevailing charges that we see coming out of municipal court and going to the jail so that maybe it gives us an action plan or a way we can direct our efforts. Uh, yeah, I mean, we share information okay. with the county and they share information with us. Uh, we do, uh, we have looked at who are the people that are on these lists or who are the people that are in jail? Why are they there? Um, and a lot of, you know, a lot of things play into that. So criminal history is going to play into that. Um, mandatory minimum sentences will um, be a reason for that if they are, like I said, um, in district court custody or waiting uh, transport to the state prison. Um, they may be in municipal court as well. So uh, most of the time, cases in municipal court are resolved through probation, non-reporting, suspended jail sentence. Um, so there would have to be some aggravating factors or a mandatory minimum sentence that's required by law for someone to serve time. Now, once they're put on probation, if they violate their probation, that could result in some sort of a penalty penalty or sanction, house arrest or jail time, but typically first time violations, community service is the sanction. Okay. So it's more or less the, the folks that uh, unfortunately are in the system for, you know, repeat or accumulated um, offenses. Correct. We, uh, we prosecute um, a lot of thefts um, that don't, don't make it to district court, but they would still have uh, I think somebody I had today had eight prior convictions for theft. So when you're on your ninth theft offense, um, it may not be, um, you know, I may not be able to just recommend that you would have the same um, consequence as someone who potentially is on their first, second, or third. Thank you. Any other questions on in that vein? Um, any other questions or discussion, commissioners? Mayor Shipley, this is Commissioner Seller. Oh, there you are. Quick question. Um, I'm. I know. We, typically, we go before the public. I do see that Mr. Dubois had his hand raised, or still has his hand raised. I'm not sure if he had a follow up. So I wanted to yield to him since his hand is. I can see it virtually that his hand has been up. So I don't know if he has another follow up to that. Um, Go ahead, Mr. Dubois, since okay. the commissioner's well, asked thank you. you. Thank you. I really appreciate you being able to follow up. And, you know, I, I, I gather from the comment, I'm sorry I don't, did not catch your name, ma'am, that had just spoken before me about the, uh, about the bookings. Uh, of course, the bookings include all bookings, but just municipal court. Uh, do you have an idea of what percent of those bookings or how many, how often it's resolved within an hour that they're released and that it would not show up as jail time? Um, that's a question, I guess, because the, 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 big, the big difference, let me go ahead. I'll, answer, I'll wait to hear what your comment is. <laughs> uh, so I don't have the dashboard in front of me. Um, so I don't, I don't have that information to reference um, without uh, doing some more research into the numbers and comparing the numbers. I really uh, don't believe that I could give an accurate answer. Okay, uh, that's fair. That's fair. But, uh, you know, I think it would be interesting to look at the numbers, the, the disparity there, the 29% uh, 
or 25%, at least make it part of your presentation so that we do understand that the average number of people that are in there because of municipal, or municipal court is not the only statistic that is related to jail time. That's it. Thank you very much. Yeah, I would only add, sir, that we we definitely could get that information for you, um, and and we could we could present that at a future time. Um, the billing records that come to us do include those um, individuals who are booked for less than an hour, and we have a zero charge. So it is something that I could get some numbers off of. Um, if that's of interest, um, we could certainly provide that. Um, yeah, I, I guess what I would suggest here um, is that. Um, I, clearly, we're interested in, in those kinds of breakdowns. I know certainly some of my commissioners really love data. Um, so what would be, I think, uh, good here is uh, for staff, whatever they come up with, to email us. And if um, if any of us would like to share that information with Mr. Dubois, he's clearly interested, or with the public, we can do that as well. Um, our, inter our, our emails and phone numbers are readily available and we can be contacted anytime. I just don't want a whole lot of um, requests coming at you for very specific information um, when you're very busy. So I just want to rein that in a little bit. Um, are there any other uh, conversations or questions commissioners have or requests for information that they don't have available now that, that we would like to see? Okay, uh, thank you again so much for all of this. It gives us a lot to think about and I appreciate your presentation. Thank you. Oh, I got so distracted by that. I let my <laughs> computer turn off. Um, our next uh, item of business is to consider a motion to reconsider a revised scope of work for the green pavement marking project in the 2022 capital improvement plan. And I'm not sure who we want to hand this to. We, it's, it doesn't derive from the staff. Uh, so, and, and the staff has given us a, a, um, um, a memo and all the information they would like us to have. So I don't want them to have to give an, a whole another book report if we just need to decide whether we do want to reconsider it or not. Uh, but of course, if staff wants to comment or not, that's fine also. Um, but I don't want to waste their time or belabor the issue if we're going to vote or not vote for it. Anyone disagree with that? Okay, cool. Um, do I have any motions on reconsidering the revised scope of work for the green pavement marking project? Commissioner, I mean, Mayor Shipley, this is Commissioner Sowers. I, I just had a point of information or at least a question for Ms. Wheeler before we before there's a motion. Um, I'm, I had asked a, a question for clarification and I didn't really get the answer at the time that an email was sent out, um, but I just wanted just a clear clarification. When there is a, since this is new, the idea of voting to reconsider, since the vote to reconsider is based on an item that was part of the consent agenda, where in the future, if something was to happen and the since the option is there for us to vote to reconsider and the item was not specifically pulled off the consent agenda for a vote to reconsider, is the vote to reconsider based on opening up last week's entire consent agenda to pull that item? Or are we voting to reconsider specifically an item under the consent agenda as we voted for the consent agenda collectively? 
The um, the motion would be to just consider that one item that um, was of interest, um, the green the green pavement markings item. Um, you know, the city does not follow Robert's rules of orders. We have developed our own rules and um, this particular procedure isn't spelled out in our resolution that has been adopted by the city commission. So staff is, um, we are making recommendations and the commission is um, free to, you know, decide how it wants to operate going forward. But we, we are recommending that you not revisit the entire um, consent agenda um, some projects may be already underway based on the vote that of the rest of the items on the consent agenda. So um, if there is an, a desire to revisit the item at issue, then that would be the only, your motion would be limited to that and your reconsideration would be limited to that one item. This is Commissioner Sellers. Thank you, Tony, for, for that. Um, That, that doesn't sit well with me. I understand we don't follow parliamentary procedure. We have our own ordinance of how we follow that, but um, I'll, for the interest of time, um, I'll just leave it at that. All right. Um, and I was thinking back, I do believe we were once asked to reconsider a motion on a planning item um, in the last year, I think, weren't we? Uh, we didn't do it, but we were asked. Um, so it, it isn't, it didn't seem strange to me. Yeah. The, this is Commissioner Sellers. I don't necessarily have an issue with a vote to reconsider because I'm familiar with votes to reconsider. My question was around how, how it's, how it's done since this was a consent agenda item. And since the item was not pulled, I'm, I'm applying a little bit of parliamentary logic here, um, with it. And I recognize we focus, we function in a different capacity, but that, that was my question that was not answered. And so that's why I was bringing it up today. So I, again, I have no issue one fourth or another on reconsider. That's a right to us as policymakers and as local electeds. It was just, I wanted to be able to get some clarifying answer about that since it wasn't provided to me via email. Uh, go ahead. So our action is to either reconsider it or not. Is that what we're looking at doing? Yes. Okay. I'll, I'll make a motion. Let's see what folks want to do. Um, reconsider right, revised scope of work for the green pavement marking project CIP CI 21002 in the 22 capital improvement plan. And if the motion prevails, direct staff to place it on the May 17th regular agenda. This is Commissioner Sellers. I second. Uh, Mayor Shipley, I have a first and a second. Uh, Commissioner, I'm oh, sorry, Vice Mayor Larson. Aye. Commissioner Sellers. Aye. Um, Commissioner Finkeldye. Aye. Commissioner Littlejohn. Aye. Uh, Mayor Shipley, aye. That passes five to zero. And unfortunately, our work session item was deferred due to staff illness, it sounds like. Um, so we will move on to commission items. I have one. Um, I do have one, Mayor. Um, since the legislature has not has um, decided not to take up the plastic bag issue, I would like for us to bring it to to our table because um, we had promised the community that we would um, see what the legislature did, and they they did not. So I think it's time that we bring it back and settle it. Okay. 
yeah, I wondered about that too, since also the uh, sustainability had talked about it. I didn't know, was I going to wait for sustainability to resuggest it? What what we should do? So thank you for bringing that up. Do it. Yeah, my understanding was the sustainability was working on it and then they stopped work on it. Mm-hmm. And so rather than bringing it back to us, I think we would ask sustainability to look at it again. That's what I would mean. And then send work to finish. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It works okay. for me. Uh, Commissioner Sellers, does that make sense to you? Oh, it does. Since it was karate chopped at Topeka, that was our window of opportunity. So I'm all about taking advantage of opportunities. Okay, could we advise staff how uh, very interested we are in that um, coming forward? I'm just interested in getting back in the hopper to kind of go through the process, whatever that is. That's to direct staff to work through the sustainability. Yeah. 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 Um, Okay. Anything else on commission items? Commissioner Sellers? This is Commissioner Sellers. Um, As you all know, I am in DC um, for the Grounded Solutions Networking Conference on housing policy and um, just wanted to take a point of personal privilege just to um, thank our community for allowing me this opportunity to attend. I'm someone who has, you know, done work around housing policy, um, lived this for a short part of their my career. Um, this these last two days have been a lot of um, mental overload, but just a great opportunity to engage um, with individuals all across the country, from California to Colorado to Vermont, um, and then here in the DMV area. But uh, what I'm really excited about is that I've had opportunity to speak with folks from our own region, from in, in college towns. So um, I sat next to someone from Columbia, Missouri. I know we didn't kill each other, uh, but we we did engage um, in the work of community land trusts, our chodos. Um, I'm one of few. I'm one of very few elected officials who are here. There's uh, several city staff members who are here, and so we kind of created our own little group to talk about um, just uh, the elected and city relation to land trust and how those partnerships work together. Um, so, I mean, there's been some great information that I, you know, would know if any commissioner wants to sit down and have coffee with me and, and just kind of talk about what I've learned from the conference. I'm more than happy. Um, to do that and um, had the opportunity to speak with um, Andre Perry, if you don't know who he is from the Brookings Institute, Google him. Um, and he's excited about, I, I cornered him uh, and told him he needs to come to Lawrence um, to talk to, uh, just to speak with our community about the business and, and economic impacts of, of housing and, and affordable housing. And so I uh, just want to be able to share, um, the, there's so much great information. Um, the tours of the land trust and what they're doing around cooperative housing um, and and just the key housing policies that impact tenants, but all, that elevates the rights of tenants, but also per, uh, creates a, a collaborative work between uh, municipalities and developers has just been, it, 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 it's been wonderful. So thank you again. And I look forward to seeing you all next week in person. <laughs> Thank you. We miss you. Um, any other uh, commission items? Okay. Let's go ahead and move on to the city manager's report. 
Thank you, Mayor. Um, really, just two items. There's an ex parte uh, communication memo on there for upcoming items, just to make sure everybody's aware of what's coming. Uh, and then also the um, the agenda and work session items. Um, I, I felt really good about how we had stacked everything out and kind of measured everything and then things happen. So uh, we may make some adjustments to it. I, I welcome any feedback also from you all. Um, these outcome team presentations, we've really been trying to spend some time in preparing those and hopefully finding them useful. Um, when stuff like this happens, do you, are you wanting us to kind of bump things down the list or throw it to the back of the line? Because uh, for instance, the last two presentations, I know a lot of work went into them. They're in the can, ready to go. It's just, we need the right staff to be here to present them. So any feedback on that would just know we're really sensitive to trying to get these right and give the community and you some time, some warning about when we're gonna talk about what we're gonna talk about. I wondered about that myself. Um, and and I know that it's, all a it's good for staff to have that last week off in the month. But since these are presentations that already exist and we're not asking them to do extra work and there's a couple of them lined up, would it be crazy to suggest we use that last week of the month or maybe next month uh, to catch up? I'm happy to be told no, but I just was suggesting <laughs> it's not, you know, they've already got it ready. We just need time. Um, and not always 11 o'clock at night is the right time. Oh, you're right. Um, I don't want anyone to get short shrift. Go ahead. So this is Commissioner Seller. So you're suggesting maybe that we circle back on these on the 24th? That's my daughter's graduation. No, okay. Yeah. School graduation. Well, I was going to say. Like, <laughs> uh, but we haven't, do we have enough of them though that we could perhaps do one a week and whichever one we get bumped to next month? If it's not going to work, it's fine. Just say no, it's fine. I just wanted to make sure we... I, my preference would be to try to mix them in. However, I don't want them to be at 11 o'clock at night. Right. Early. I like them early in the schedule so we can make sure we can hear the full, get the full hearing because they are really important and I appreciate the work. Um, that would be my preference. So Mayor Shipley, I would, you know, I, I don't mind adding them um, and I think that's a wonderful opportunity for us to, when it is called on us at the beginning of the meeting to approve the agenda, then we could finagle and move some of those work sessions to the top so that we get them early. So I mean, that's a maneuver to maneuverable way to do it. I mean, we may still be here till 1030, but I, I would like to get them in. I don't want to move them to the back because I know especially our, our the one from last week I was definitely looking forward to and the one this week I was anticipating. So I delayed my Uber Eats until 9.30 because so, I thought we were going to have one today. So um, if we can get them filled in and just if it's a matter of us rearranging the agenda so that they come earlier in the agenda instead of later, that is an option available to us. Yeah. Staff can just do that. Yeah, right. Staff can just do that. Oh, change. just put it in the order. Just that put it in the order right. that they. We we do. We've yeah. been trying to do the proactive work first. Right. And uh, so we're going to try and stay on that pace. It's really a matter of do we, for instance, do we knock down connected city outcome team, which is scheduled for next week, mm -hmm. to the June seventh meeting, and mm -hmm. then everybody trickles yeah. down. Yeah. Or do you want to cram two in? 
Um, it depends on the agenda, but these are all pretty weighty agendas. So if we're, mm -hmm. if we're on pace for an hour or so of these discussions, and then we've got other business uh, that's obviously scheduled there. So again, since I'm the one that throws out crazy ideas, the 24th obviously isn't going to work for a number of reasons. What about a special meeting on another day that again is just these reports, um, not other business that we need to worry about? I see Lisa's face. What's your face? <laughs> um, my preference is to try to work them in and bump, just bump them down. That's my preference. Okay. This is Commissioner Sellers. I would prefer a special meeting, just not in May. <laughs> well, uh, that that will that will be on us soon enough. Um, yeah, I, again, I just don't like to give things short shrift. We'll be doing them at 11, um, and that would be a, a solution. We could think about it till next week. There's maybe no. A good discussion. Thank you. Um, we'll we'll take a look at it and get something back to you. Uh, this is a open comment uh, item. Hi, this is Chris Flowers. I, I want to speak about something different, but um, it was about the ex parte stuff. Um, basically, I saw down there that the D.A.R.E. Center's SUP looks like it's coming up. And I remember there was that business asking for an SUP and they got um, like the length of time it's good for. They got something longer than what the D.A.R.E. has. So I think whatever the D.A.R.E.'s SUP, like the length of time, it should equal whatever the longest time we've been given private, like our the private business, you know, in our community that has the longest set time for an SUP. I think we should give it to like a nonprofit like uh, D.A.R.E. so they don't have to come back and spend as much. Because my understanding was when you apply for an SUP, you have to uh, pay like a cost to do it. So if they if they don't have to come back as often, they won't have to pay as much money in the long run. And if they don't have to pay as much money to the city, they can be providing more. They can use that money to provide more service for the, the homeless that they're serving. So I just wanted to throw that out there. And I will, pro when it comes up, I will probably be removing it from consent and asking y'all to do that. So you might want to start considering it now, especially because online, on social media, I've seen some people aren't happy with the city um, removing uh, 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 homeless um, camp. Uh, I don't know the full details, but doing something like that might might help please some of the people that might be angry right now. Thank you. Thank you. I know we can rely on you to be at that meeting anyway. So, um, any other public comment or any public comment online on the city manager's report? We're not seeing anything there. Great. All right. The next uh, item is the calendar. Is there anything commissioners want to review or add to the calendar? Not seeing anything. And that brings us to adjournment. Move to adjourn. Second. I have a first and a second. Uh, Vice Mayor Larson. Aye. Commissioner Finkeldye. Aye. Commissioner Littlejohn. Aye. Commissioner Sellers. From D.C. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, uh, Mayor Shipley. I that passes five to zero. Thank you all, everyone. All right.